0: Hey, welcome home, everybody. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons and we're so glad to have you with us today here in the household of faith. We started a new series on the broadcast last week and we want to continue that this week. This is part two of There Came a Sound from Heaven. And really it's a part of the the series we've been doing uh, for months now on the anointing. And I want to remind you that the anointing of God on your life is the power of God to turn you into another person. The anointing of God on you is his power to turn you from who you are into who he's called you and created you to be. That's what this anointing is. And that's why it's so critical that you and I find out what sounds are we feeding on because you become an echo of whatever sound it is you're feeding on. That's why we want to become an echo of this sound from heaven. Whatever heaven's saying, that's the echo you want to be. You want to spread the fame of Jesus all over the world and become that kind of echo. So I want you to watch this today as we go right back into part two of there came a sound from heaven. 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to read here and then back up and cover again some of the things we've looked at, but it's important. It'll be clear to us here in just a minute. In 1 Samuel 16, this chapter is about Samuel anointing David. And he had gone at the direction of the Lord to the house of Jesse, who had a bunch of sons. And basically Samuel said, I need to see your sons. The, The next king's coming out of this family, one of these boys and Jesse started marching all the sons in front of him in verse six. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. He said, surely, this is Samuel speaking, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse seven, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I have refused him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at the heart. Always be very careful about making assumptions about people based on what you see. The Lord's looking at the heart. So you know the story. You know how this goes. One son right after the other. Samuel says, no. Samuel says, "Uh uh-uh. Samuel says, survey says, "Eh, not you. And they get down to the last one. And he's like, do you not have any more? And Jesse said, well, I got this one. But he's out in the field tending sheep. And he said, get him in here. Nobody's sitting down until we see him. And uh, of course, you know how it goes in verse 12. So he sent and brought David in. David was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. The Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came on David from that day forward. An interesting thing here, we're going to look at this again in a moment, but the difference between the anointing of Saul and the anointing of David. When God anointed Saul, just after he was anointed, the Scripture says, God put a new heart in him. But when God anointed David, it was because that heart was already there. And that's why I said, I'm looking at the heart. This one doesn't pass because I'm looking at the heart. This one's not it because I'm looking at the heart. He got to David and he said, that's the heart I'm looking for. So the, the anointing comes on him. The spirit of the Lord's on him from that day forward. It says in verse 14, though, but the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Let's read all of this, then we'll come back and talk about some of it. Verse 15, Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command you and your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on a harp, on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I've seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. Now here's the kicker. And the Lord is with him. Now, how do you recognize any of that? All this other stuff is fairly visible. Good looking guy. People can look at that and... And a great, has a good looking kid. Courageous, man of valor. I mean, you see that kind of thing show up in people. But how do you look at somebody and say, the Lord is with him? It's obvious. It was obvious, to remember, to Potiphar when Joseph was sold into his house. Here's an Egyptian, probably a false God worshiping kind of guy. And the scripture says, and he could see that the Lord was with him. The anointing shows up in your life. And a lot of times people don't know how to put words around it. They don't know how to describe it. And the only thing this guy knew to say was God's with him. God is with this guy. It says, therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me your son, David, who was with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, sent them by his son, David to Saul. David came to Saul, stood before him. And he loved him greatly and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, please let David stand before me for he's found favor in my sight. And so it was whenever the spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Let's back up a minute and and be careful here and don't let this confuse you. I know that sounds strange to our ears that a distressing spirit from God would be on Saul. But really what you and I have already talked about concerning the anointing helps make sense of this. If you back up, hold your place in 16, cause we'll come back to it, but go back to chapter nine. And this is the account of Saul being anointed by Samuel. And you remember what happened. Uh, we talked a lot about it in here. Saul, Uh, had been sent out by his dad to find some of their lost donkeys. And he happens to run into Samuel, the prophet of God. And God had talked to Samuel the day before and said, I'm uh, I'm sending one to you whom I'm going to anoint to be king over my people. And when Saul walked up to Samuel, Saul just thinks he's looking for donkeys. He doesn't realize he's about to come face to face with the call of God on his life. And Samuel begins speaking to him and says, all the desire of Israel is on you. And Saul said to him in verse 21 of chapter nine, he said, am I not a Benjamite of the smallest tribes of Israel? My family, the least of all uh, of the families of the tribe of Benjamin. Why do you speak to me like this? This is a real window into the soul of Saul. That even though the scripture tells us before that he's tall, he's taller than anybody in the nation of Israel. He's choice. He's handsome. He's better looking than anybody. Again, this is all outward stuff. But through his words, we get a window into what's going on inside. And what's going on inside is timidity, insecurity and fear. And what's going on inside is this is how he sees him. Am I not the least? Am I not the smallest? Why do you speak to me like this? One translation says, why do you talk to me like I'm somebody important? And you see what's going on in his soul. But in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander of his inheritance? And then Samuel began to take the next few verses to tell Saul and describe to him, Here's what's about to happen to you, man, now that you're anointed things were one way yesterday. They about to be different from this day forward. And one of the things he said to him was in verse six, the spirit of the Lord will come on you and you will prophesy with them and you will be turned into another man. That's the anointing. That's what the anointing does. That's what the anointing accomplishes in your life. It is there to turn you in to somebody else. Now, you know already who Saul was insecure, timid, shy, and afraid. And Samuel said, now you're anointed. The spirit of the Lord's going to come on you and you're going to prophesy. That's, that's a big thing for somebody who's timid. That's a big thing for somebody who's gripped with fear and, and refuses to stand up and, and, and scared to talk in front of people. Prophesy. It's one thing to talk in front of somebody. It's another thing to say, thus saith the Lord, let me talk to you about the future something had to change in him and it did change. in him. The anointing turned him into another person, but this is, this was the added instruction in verse seven. Samuel said, let it be when these signs come to you that you do, everybody say you do, Do. you do as the occasion demands for God is with you. So you've got to understand here that there's, there must be this cooperation With the anointing and you yielding to it. Because Saul, he's got the anointing, he's got God with him, but still this instruction had to come. When you step into this occasion, you are still going to have to yield to it and you're going to have to do as the occasion requires of you, as the occasion demands you. And that's what the anointing on your life will do. And sad to say, most of the rest of this world and much of the body of Christ is not living cognizant and aware, number one, that there is an anointing. Number two, that one's available to me. And if you don't know that there's one available to you, you're certainly not asking the Lord for it. You're certainly not mindful of increasing in it. And if you're not mindful of increasing in it, then you're certainly oblivious to being in an occasion that would place a demand on the anointing that's in you. That's why I keep telling you month after month after month, one of the greatest things you'll ever find out from God is what he's anointed you to do. Because once you find that out, then you'll, by the help of the Holy Spirit, step into occasions where your eyes come open and you'll realize in a moment of time, I'm in the middle of a situation that's placing a demand on the anointing in me. I mean, what would you think? If you, you've seen this played out, maybe not in real life, but certainly in movies and shows and things like that, where say people are in a restaurant and some guy just hits the floor, you know, chest pains or choking or, or some, some life-threatening thing. And everybody rushes over and nobody can help. And all of a sudden people start yelling, is there a doctor in the house? Right, you've seen this before. Is there a doctor in the house? Is there a doctor in the house? And how sad would it be if that were to play out in real life and this poor soul is either severely injured or worse, loses their life, only to find out that at the next table, there sat a board certified, fully qualified practicing physician who could know what to do, was well equipped with all the knowledge and the ability and the experience to know what to do to save this person's life. I mean, what would you think of that individual? Especially if they sat there and said, well, I'm, I'm happy to help you, but I'm enjoying a meal with my spouse right now. And so please make an appointment on Monday. Right? That's going to be too late. Is there a doctor in the house? What I'm trying to paint a picture here uh, is, is of a person in an occasion that puts a demand on what they've got. Puts a demand on their knowledge. Puts a demand on their expertise. Folks, whether you realize it or not, we're living in a world and people are every day asking, not for a doctor, but a believer. They may not be saying, is there a believer in the house? But they are telling you what's going on in their life. They are telling you where they're hurting. You are seeing where they're coming short. In essence, what they're saying is, is there a believer in the house? What they're saying is, is there any faith in the house? Is there any love in the house? Is there any compassion in the house? Is there any anointing in the house? This is what people are crying out. Whether you realize it or not, you are in the middle of an occasion that's putting a demand on what you've got. And how sad would it be for you and I to be like, well, my pastor's really anointed. Come to church. Now, now inviting people to church, that's wonderful. That's great. And there's certainly place for that. And we should be doing that. But we also have to be wide awake to when you step into a moment that this is life or death and it's a window of opportunity and it's placing a demand on the anointing that's in you. A few weeks ago, Sarah and I were in Vancouver, BC together. We went out to have dinner one night. Nice place. And a waiter came along, nice guy. And uh, he just sort of struck up conversation with us. And and, uh, he he visited the table two or three times. And I, I just felt prompted like, what's going on? What are you doing in town? You know, why are you here? You from here? That kind of thing. And he had just moved here from LA. And I said, were you you, uh, one to act? Was that the deal out there now? Oh yeah, everybody obviously in LA wanted to make it in acting and stuff and it just, it wasn't working. And he just starts telling us a story about how he just wasn't getting auditions. He wasn't getting roles, wasn't getting parts. Uh, The rent-controlled apartment he was in. He was basically asked to leave so they could remodel and hike up the rent and things just kind of breaking down around him a little bit. Then he told us his boyfriend broke up with him. And uh, you could see he was hurting. And as a believer, you got a choice right, right then and there. Now, it was compassion that said, ask him what's going on. Is it a different voice now? Is there a different voice to listen to now? And I said, okay, never mind." So he's telling us this. I don't know how many times he said it. My boyfriend broke up with me. My boyfriend broke up with me. So I just came back here to Vancouver and so on and so on. And he stood there and he talked to us a bit. And then he, he walked away and he came to the table two, or three more times. But, but uh, after I got the check and left a fat tip, then I grabbed his hand. And I looked him in the eye and I said, man, when you were telling me your story, I don't know what you think about this, but I heard God speak up inside of me and just say, I love you. And when you're ready, you call on me because I'll listen. I'm here and I'm going to help you. that's all it was. Didn't make any other kind of deal about it. He seemed appreciative of it. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it's going to work out. But what I recognized was, uh uh-oh. I'm in the middle of an occasion (laughs) that's placing a demand on the anointing to be a carrier of the love of God. What do I do with that? Now, we talk so much and we see it in Scripture about not quenching the spirit. And a lot of different things get said about, well, this will quench the spirit or this will quench the spirit. And I I remember hearing as a kid, chewing gum in church will quench the spirit. So you, you kind of get afraid of if I do this, I don't want to quench the spirit. I don't want to grieve the spirit. Can I tell you what will quench the spirit? And that word quench just means put the fire out quicker than anything is just you not yielding you recognizing I'm in the middle of an occasion that requires the anointing. But instead of yielding to that, you stand there like Saul going, who am I? Who am I? And that's what he said when he came face to face with the call of God on his life. He said, who am I? Who am I? And I'm telling you something, guys, if you, if you live in the confines of that question, you will be gripped with fear your entire life paralyzed frozen with fear if you just constantly ask yourself who am i who am i who am i you'll never take a step you'll never yield to the anointing you'll certainly never prophesy (laughs) or any other thing the lord calls you to do that would impact the life of somebody else as long as you're going well who am i who am i who am i so if that's not the right question what is the right question is who am i in him That's the question you need to be asking. Not who am I? Who is he? Who is he in me? Who am I in him? That's the question to ask and to answer. Because when you find out not who you are, but who you are in him, that anointing is the source of boldness. It's the source of confidence. It's not a matter of who you are. It's a matter of who you are in him. Now, Saul, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. He yielded to it. it. says in verse 9, God gave him another heart. Verse 11 of chapter 10, It happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? In other words, what got into Saul? And I'm looking forward to that, folks. I'm hungry for that. And that's the reason I bring it up to you over and over and over again. Those who knew him formerly, formerly, what's that mean? Before, before what? Before he got anointed, before he encountered the anointing. Folks, all of us have people in our lives that know us formerly, huh? Every one of us. And I am hungry to encounter a greater degree of this anointing we're talking about so that maybe my, even my own family looks at me and says, what got into you? I don't know if you remember me telling you about Smith Wigglesworth. And of course, most of you know who Smith Wigglesworth is. He's born in the middle 1800s and six years old. Went to work in a factory in England. And no education whatsoever. Came to know the Lord much, much later on in his life. Rough man. And uh, the Lord softened his heart and he became a preacher. But still, no education. Couldn't read, couldn't write. And people who would watch him preach... And this was more than one individual's testimony of being a first hand witness of Smith Wigglesworth. They would say that he'd begin to preach and it was just almost awkward. This guy has no education, could hardly put two sentences together and it would come out just awkward and weird and strange and choppy and almost like you couldn't follow it. But people, person after person after person would say this of him. They would say they would come this moment in the middle of the message. That the anointing would hit him. And this is what one individual said. It was like he was turned into another person. And he would begin to preach with such power and preach with such eloquence and and, and in a way that would hit the hearts of people. And there were denominations in England that he wasn't even associated with or a part of that would invite him to come every year and speak to their general assembly for one reason. They wanted their people to see that. They wanted the young men that they were training up in ministry. They basically sat them there and said, watch this. Just watch. Watch what happens. The power of God to turn somebody into something else. Anybody who's willing to yield to that and step into an occasion that puts a demand on that anointing. Okay, back to chapter 16. What happened was that anointing that was on Saul, he failed to protect it. Once you, once you find out what you're anointed by God for, it's worth protecting. And again, there are a lot of things that you might assume would cost you the anointing. Uh, you might assume a lot of things like, um, I'll just unholy behavior, fleshy kind of stuff. And certainly it has an effect on it. We know that. But, but David, we know later on in his life, certainly did some things that were not holy, crossed the line sexually. And it cost him, but not permanently. Why? Why? Well, if you go back and look at what really cost Saul, he started off this guy saying, who am I, this insecure, but then he got to the place where he was willing to act apart from the anointing. He got, if you will, too bold and act outside of the instruction and the command of God. That's pride. That's arrogance. Let me give you a little math equation for arrogance. Arrogance is confidence minus the awareness of the anointing. For you and I, arrogance is confidence minus the awareness of Jesus. If you're not completely and utterly cognizant at all times that without Him I can do nothing, then that's it. arrogance, and it's pride and it will cost you the anointing. So if pride cost Saul the anointing. What, what was it that enabled David to hang on to it? Quick to repent. Humility. Humility is an anointing protector.